Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. Bowl season officially gets underway tomorrow when App State, Georgia Southern, and Louisiana take the field. James Madison's going to take on an Air Force team next Saturday, and we're excited to talk about that matchup in a moment. But before we do, we wanted to tell you about Wednesday's episode. Caden and I dove into the upcoming famous toastery, as well as the Scooter's Coffee Frisco Bowl between or featuring Old Dominion and Marshall, plus Old Dominion center Xavier Black stepped by to give us insight into the Monarchs' preparations and their season as a whole. If you missed it, you're going to want to go back and give it a listen. Today on episode 162 of the show, we're looking forward to talking about one of the most exciting matchups, I think, of bowl season as we continue our bowl season preview series. We're discussing the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl on today's show. We'll take an in-depth look at the matchup. We'll discuss the top storylines ahead of the game as well. Plus, James Madison at defensive end, Jamry Chroma, will join us momentarily to talk about the Dukes matchup with Air Force. Caden, I'm not sure where to start, honestly. It's been a magical season for this Duke squad, 11-1. and They're ranked. Uh, they had college game day come to campus. The list honestly goes on and on. A lot has changed, though, over the past couple of weeks, but the bowl game, the program's first, still presents a big opportunity. What's got you excited about this game? Yeah, no, just them playing in the game is definitely exciting. We talked all season about a team this good deserving a right to play in a bowl game, and the fact that they are finally doing it, they're finally getting that opportunity to play on the stage in itself is exciting. And you talked about there's a lot of changes going on with this program. The transfer portal is looming. Their head coach isn't in the picture anymore. But I think these players that are going to be playing in this game earned every single snap and every single minute they're going to get in this one. And I think we're going to see them put it on full display against another team that was regarded as one of the best of the group of five levels. So just excited to watch this special team specific to this year, be able to put it out there one last time and play in a postseason situation that we just did not think of happening to start the year. The defensive line for James Madison going to be a massive part of the game plan against this run-heavy Air Force offense. And like we promised, James Madison's Jamry Chroma is here to talk about it. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to hear from one of the most feared pass rushers in the Sun Belt. Well, we are excited to be joined by James Madison defensive end Jamry Chroma on the Ferrarian Smith podcast. Jamry, it's been uh, a busy stretch for you guys. Thanks for making time to come on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, let's jump right in. And, you know, Jamory, it's been an amazing season for you and for this James Madison football team. You guys are 11 and 1 in the regular season, plenty of national recognition. You were ranked, you've hosted college game day, and now you guys are going to play in the program's first bowl game. What have been some of your favorite memories from this season? I mean, like, you know, I've just been here for two years, but definitely this year, the way that things was going, you know, us going 11 and 1, you know, just all the things that we have been through this year, and it's just, you know, turned out to be great. Now, let me follow up to what has, uh, you know, if there was a game this year that maybe was your favorite game, can you pinpoint one for me? Who favorite game? Uh, I'll say UVA because the way that things was going for us, we just kept on fighting. You know, UVA had momentum. And then later on, we started to get our momentum to me in the way in the game. Well, Jamry, that was definitely one of our favorite games to watch this year for sure. And you mentioned you've only been with the team for two seasons. You spent the first four years of your career at Rutgers before deciding to end your college career at James Madison. What initially appealed to you about this program and led to you committing to coming to Harrisonburg? I mean, one thing is tradition. Second thing is culture. And like, you know, the things that they have here, those are the things I was looking for. But I did my research on JMU before I decided to enter the transfer portal. 
So when I entered the portal and Jamie, you reached out to me saying that they're interested in me and they offered me a scholarship and took the visit here and I saw what was good here and everything else. It was a no brainer for me to come here. Now, Jammer, I think that's an interesting point that you're making, and I, and I want to follow up on that. Obviously, we've seen the proliferation of the transfer portal in college football. There's a lot of guys in the portal. From someone who's been there and done that, what would be your advice to guys who are thinking about entering the transfer portal and surveying their options? i say one thing for sure is that don't make the decision entering the transfer portal based on your emotions because sometimes making an emotional decision you know, based on your emotions isn't really good. So you got to look at things from all aspects and really look at your situation and see, is this the good situation currently right now? Is it a bad situation? You got to see if it's going to benefit you in the future or not. And then before making any moves, you got to make sure everything is good from your academics to your film. You don't want to go in there, like, into the transfer portal with nothing because that's when things can go bad for you. Yeah, I think that's uh, some great advice and definitely things that, you know, Caden has said on this program now, Jamery, you went from having half a sack in your Rutgers career to three and a half last season, but then you've broken out this year with 11 sacks. You've got 20 TFLs. What did your offseason work look like this year, and what contributed to this breakout season that you've had? I feel like, you know, based off last year, at the time, like my very first year here at JMU, you know, I, it was like my best year by far. And then I went into that offseason like, hey, I got to turn up to a whole nother level. You know, it gave me more confidence and build off of that. So it just makes me go even harder and make me know, like, you know, what I'm, what I'm working for, what I'm working towards to. So just going that off season, that spring ball, all phases leading up to the season, just keep on working harder and harder. And so I could be grateful that following year. Well, there's no question your hard work paid off this year for not just you, but the entire defensive line. I mean, y'all's unit was absolutely special this year. One of the best in the country, if not the best, just living in the backfield seemingly Every play, we had a chance to talk to your teammate Jalen Green on episode 136 of this show, and he talked about the reason behind that success being some of the hard work and y'all pushing each other. Can we hear it from your perspective and your opinion? What has made this collective group on the defensive line so special this season? I feel like first thing is mindset. Mindset is everything, and you know our defensive line coach, Coach Coons, he always instilled that in us. You know, go out to practice, you know, with energy because energy is everything. But also like have like the had the great approach, you know, because some people don't have that kind of approach going to the practice field and they end up getting the results that they deserve. But for us, it's like we're the hardest working group, hardest working D-line in the country, the best D-line in the country. And, you know, it's a standard to it. So we hold ourselves up to that standard. And our, and our D-line coach, Coach Coons, he, he holds us up to that standard also. So it's like it's not just the coach holding us up to that standard, but we hold other guys to that standard too. And, you know, and the rest of it take care of itself. Yeah, I think it's interesting because when we spoke with Jalen earlier in the year, he 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 pinpointed Coach Kuntz and the impact that he had had. And, you know, I think to your point, the numbers clearly bear out that this has been amongst the best defensive line units in the country this season. Jammer, we can't go an entire episode without talking about what the Dukes did on offense, and particularly Jordan McLeod this year. He earns Conference Player of the Year honors despite not being the starter to begin the year. What's it been like watching him this season, and where have you seen the most growth from him this year? I feel like one thing with him just kept on being consistent. I feel like he had his struggles like early in the year, but once he figured things out and just kept on being consistent, he started you know, seeing things work out for him, like him getting a conference player of the week and making great decisions as a quarterback. So he just kept on being consistent and you know stuck to his routine. 
There's no question that this offense was looking a lot different once he started picking up his game and, and taking it to a whole nother level. But let's talk about this upcoming Armed Forces Bowl. You and your teammates put in the work on the field this season without really knowing if you were going to be able to play in a bowl game this year. A lot of people put in a lot of work behind the scenes to make this a reality. How does it feel to be participating in a bowl game, just given all the hard work y'all put in the last two years? And what was the reaction of yourself in the locker room once y'all figured out y'all were heading to the Armed Forces Bowl? Um, It feels great. You know, our reaction is like, you know, let's go. Like, everyone felt great about it because, like, you know, towards the end of the season when NCAA made a decision and then later on we had to pin on those teams that was close to, you know, becoming bowl eligible to lose those games, we wasn't too sure what was going to happen. So it was like 50-50. So we tried not to be high, trying to be too low, just be in the middle and just see what happens from there. But when we found out we went to the bowl game, we was like, all right, let's go. One more game and, you know, leave it all out there. So we was definitely excited for that. Now, Jamry, given what you just said, you know, throughout the season, how hard was it for this program to to not listen to all the external noise? You guys clearly did that. What about y'all's mindset allowed you guys to stay so focused on, you know, as your coaching staff has said in the past, just going 1-0 every week and handling what you could handle? I mean, one thing about it is that you got to stay disciplined, got to stay focused, because, mm-hmm. like, everything that's going on, you know, everyone in the country going to tell us how good we are. But they're not going to really talk about the bad things. And you just have to continue not being satisfied because some people who continue to be satisfied, that's when you see themselves going to decline and not really improve from what they have recently done. So we just had our minds like, don't be satisfied, don't feed into it. Because a lot of those things are for the fans and fans tell us how good we are. But we just know there's more work that got to be done and job is not finished. Yeah, got to keep uh, the focus in between the white lines. Uh, Jamry, you guys are going to get to face an Air Force team in this bowl game that was amongst the elites in the group of five this year. They run that triple option attack, which I know defenses hate. Uh, what's it been like preparing for them? And, and what are the biggest keys for you guys in terms of winning the war in the trenches? I mean, one thing about it is that guys stay disciplined. But, you know, with a defense like us, we just have, you know, we have one job and you know, everyone have a certain job when playing a triple option. So it's like, you know, don't try to see a lot because you end up seeing a little. So see a little, see a lot, and just, you know, just do your one eleven. Don't do somebody else's job because when you try to do somebody else's job, that's when they could break out for a run and get like a gain of whatever whatever amount of yards it may be. So just everyone has a job. So stick to your job and don't get too bored doing your job. Yeah, I'm sure y'all have had a lot of walkthroughs figuring out who has the pitch man, who has the dive, who has the quarterback, making sure everyone's gaps on every single play just going against a triple option attack seems a lot more mental than physical. But Jam, we have to hop off the field a little bit and we have to talk about something I saw on your Instagram account, and that is you modeling and you putting on fashion and, and being on the runway. Could you maybe talk to us about where that passion came from and what your future might look like or past looks like as far as modeling and, and putting some different clothes and outfits on? <laughs> I mean, it started when I was at Rutgers. So, like, at the time when I entered the portal, I had a semester to myself. So I had more time on my hands to do different things. So uh, a friend of mine, you know, she, you know, she kind of, she pretty much encouraged me to do it. I wasn't really too sure of doing it, but she pretty much encouraged me. And then once I ended up doing it, like, walking around, people were saying that was a natural. So I'm like, hey, you know, there's some good stuff right here. And then when I came here to JMU, uh, a friend of mine, she saw my page and she was like, yeah, you got a model uh, for our show here at JMU. I wasn't really too big on it. I'm like, all right, I, laid, I left that in the past. But she kept on bothering me, bothering me, bothering me to, like, model here at JMU. That's what I ended up doing. But it really started at Rutgers, like, due to, you know, my friend encouraging me to uh, to model. And 
you know, it, it turned out well. Now, Jam, Caden's got some good style, me not as much. If you could give me a piece of style advice, what would that be? I mean, it's just based on, like, I say just put your cuts together, man. You know, depending on what you got in your closet, don't try to, like, putting anything together. It's not going to really be a great combination, but just put your cuts together in the right way. Well, I, I appreciate the uh, perspective there. Jam, we're going to end with this. Uh, your college career is going to come to an end when the clock hits zero next Saturday. You've no doubt got aspirations to play at the next level. And let's be honest, your numbers prove that you belong at that next level. Tell NFL teams what they would be getting in Jamry Chroma if he was on their roster next year. Well, one thing I will say is that, you know, off the field, I'm a good dude. But on the field, I'm a dog. I think that's a, that's some great perspective right there. Uh, Jamry, appreciate uh, the conversation and, and certainly wishing uh, you and your team best of luck as you guys wrap up this uh, this special season at James Madison. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me again. Caden, always enjoy having new guys on the podcast. Jamory Chroma did not disappoint. He gave me some fashion advice. Thanks, Jamory, for that. But I will always take an opportunity to hear more about this James Madison defensive line. They've been excellent over the last two seasons. They hold opponents down in the run game about 60 yards per game over the last two years. Their sack numbers off the charts. Once again, and it was interesting to hear his insight into what's made them successful, Cato. Yeah, we obviously talked to Jalen Green earlier in the season, and he's been kind of the, the the main guy we've been hearing about nationally, and as rightfully so with what he was able to do this season despite even getting injured. But hearing it from another defensive lineman on this defensive line that's just been contributing at a very high clip and had an unprecedented season compared to what he's done in the past has been huge. And I just love kind of the parallels between his career journey and him kind of peaking in this moment this year and that kind of taking on really the identity of this defensive line as a whole, having a fantastic season, hearing kind of about the mentality and the preparation that goes into what you see this season, which was what they call, and they rightfully call themselves, the best defensive line in college football. Yeah, Kane, I think those are some great points. And we, as we talked with Jalen earlier this year, Jamry said it as well. I think Pat Koontz deserves a lot of credit for the work that he did with this unit over the last two years. Obviously, he's joining Kurt Signetti with that coaching staff at Indiana. Caden, I think Jamory's answer to the final question was probably one of the best moments in Ferrian Smith podcast history. We asked him what an NFL team would get. His answer was simple, a dog. Yeah, he kept it short and sweet with his answer for sure. And you can do that when you have the play and the production and the film to back it up. I mean, I remember watching the season at the beginning and knowing that this was going to be a defensive line unit just based on the pedigree they had last year. But watching him and Mikhail Kamara fly around this year, I immediately had my, it immediately had my attention. It immediately made me pull my, out my phone and say, hey, who, who are these guys? Like I've, I haven't heard of these guys before. And they maintain that the entire season. They turned my head, so I know they definitely turned the head of NFL scouts as well. So very excited to see what the future of not just him, but the entire really defensive line of this team looks like when as far as them playing on Sundays in the future. Okay, and we've danced around it enough. Let's talk about this Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. James Madison, 11-1, and facing an Air Force team that was 8-4 and in the Mountain West Conference this year. This game at Amon G. Carter Stadium, the home of TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. December 23rd, 3.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Central on ESPN. Caden, James Madison, it'll be their first bowl appearance. They are one of two transitioning teams. Jacksonville State, who plays Louisiana in the New Orleans Bowl tomorrow, is the other that got into bowl season because there wasn't enough bowl teams. Air Force appearing in the program's 30th bowl game. It'll be their seventh appearance in the Armed Forces Bowl alone. 
Both of these teams actually were ranked earlier on in the season in the AP 20 top 25. Caden, we have reached the final game of what is has been a magical season in a run over the last two years for James Madison. They finished the regular season with an 11 and one record. They go 19 and four in two transitioning seasons. This is a second straight year that they've been ranked. They hosted the largest college game day crowd ever. They've bowl eligible now. This has been a special season for Duke Nation as a whole, Caden. But what we've witnessed these two, or these past two years, it's been extraordinary, and, and we probably are not going to see it again for quite some time. No, I think the more you just look back at the season, the further we get away from the season, when we're gonna, the more we're going to realize that we've been covering history with this program and what they've been able to do the last two seasons. We talked to Jeff Bourne, the athletic director, and even just from that conversation following their year last year, you can tell that something special was happening in Harrisonburg and the way that they were able to transition to the FBS is just something that's probably going to go down as an unprecedented standard as far as when other teams try to make that jump in the future. They and they within themselves had the rule books rewritten for them as far as what they were able to do and what the the college college football and the NCAA thought was capable as far as a team making this transition. I think when you look at future teams making this transition, the the the, the rule book and the, and the guidebook and the blueprints as far as how to have an ideal FCS program make that jump. JMU has now written that book, but I think just looking at it and reading it and trying to study it isn't going to be as easy as as it is said than it is done. So I think. We see, say, a North Dakota State in the future try to make a jump to the FBS level or any kind of powerhouse FCS program try to make this transition. They're definitely going to look at these rules again and see if it's even possible and attainable and kind of shift it. And James Madison's going to have a huge part in that. So you have to just give a shout out to them for having an unprecedented level of success the last two years. It speaks a lot to what this program has built up before it was an FBS team. And them being able to execute it at this level has just been amazing to watch. It's just been crazy to witness history. Who would have thought when James Madison and then the three other teams that joined this conference two years ago were, were making this jump that we would see them in this position to where they're getting this national recognition, they're getting this national spotlight and really rewriting the rules, like I said, as far as transitioning from the FCS to the FBS level. Yeah, and Caden, our listeners and, and people on Twitter, oftentimes every time we talk about this, they will bring up the transitions that App State made in the past, the Georgia Southerns, the Marshalls, and, and they were highly successful transitions, but this is a different era of college football that James Madison has has made this transition. And the only thing I would add is that you've had a good couple of years. Obviously, Kurt Signetti's now moving on. You bring in Bob Chesney from Holy Cross. Now it comes down to can you sustain success? James Madison might have written the better first couple of chapters than teams like Georgia Southern and an App State. But you look at an App State program that probably has been the standard bearer over the last couple of years with consistency. After making that leap, I fully expect James Madison to be as consistent as that program, but obviously easier said than done uh, moving forward. But, Caden, obviously the elephant in the room here is Kurt Signetti and, and most of the staff departing for Indiana following the season. James Madison has already locked up their new head coach, Bob Chesney, who comes over from Holy Cross. Uh, we'll, get on, we'll get into that more in the offseason, even hoping to have uh, Coach Chesney on the program. But... Damian Robolewski will lead this team in the interim in the bowl game. Kato, you are uniquely positioned to talk about this because you've gone through this not once, but twice coaching turnovers ahead of a bowl game. I think of Scott Satterfield in 2018 when he left for Louisville, EY Drinkwitz in 2019 when he went to Mizzou. What are these guys going through as they prepare for this game with now a different coaching staff? 
Yeah, no, it's definitely a unique experience and not all coach departures are created equally. The two instances that you mentioned went very differently as far as the transition, the bowl game and getting into it. And it's just something you can't anticipate. And it's just one of those rare moments you get as a team. You've talked about it before. The question is going to be, can JMU sustain the success? And the hard part about sustaining success at the group of five level is having to battle the adversity that comes with turnover. And now this team is getting their first test of that, their first taste of that heading into the future of this program. I think when you look at the unique situation, there's a lot of emotions that come with a head coach leaving. I'm not going to put too many details out there, but when coach departures happen, it's just, it's, it's, it's different. And it's a, it's a very interesting tightrope to walk on. And we talk about coaches like John Summerall leaving as well. These are two figures, Kurt Sinetti and John Summerall that are very prominent in that community, very prominent to the team. And just there's a lot of emotional ties that go into having a head coach and a leader like this, especially when you look at the seniors of this team, the guys who've been recruited by these coaches as well. And I think with their departure, it's a very emotional moment. There's a lot going on. The locker room has very interesting and weird vibes. But then once that coach is gone, they're gone and you have to move and shift your attention to the bowl game. And usually you have someone in-house leading you in battle now, someone you're familiar with, and you can really lean on that coach as an emotional leader. And I think more so than a game plan or anything, it's about those emotional intangible and, and and just mental things and mental blocks and hurdles to get over as you focus on your opponent and you get into your bowl game both of these teams and any team at this position that has a head coach leaving ahead of a bowl game these are clearly teams that are good teams if you have your coach that has great opportunities so the talent of this team and the talent of troy any coach departure team has that there that's why their coach is moving to the next level so it's not about how do you line up the x and o's and all that stuff these are proven winners jmu's a proven winner and a good team The question is going to be, can they kind of put it as far in the past as they can and look at this bowl game as an individual game compared to the rest of the season? It's obviously some attachment when it comes to the success of this team and expecting success in this bowl game. But your head coach is gone. A lot of your staff is gone. You have to put all of your focus and attention on the future and not the past. And that's definitely what we did at App State. And that's when you saw the results you did in the bowl game. It's going to be about can they rally around this head coach and can they mentally put Chris Signetti's departure in the past and look more towards the future and their opponent in Air Force. Caden, you said it, so I'm just going to go ahead and further expound on it. But uh, you compared John Summerall and Kurt Signetti leaving, and I will say both of those situations were handled extremely differently. I'm going to leave that there. But let's talk about this quarterback situation. Jordan McLeod uh, will start what could be the final game of his James Madison career. He's currently in the transfer portal. Does he leave? Does he consider staying? Meanwhile, for Air Force, they lost their starting quarterback, Zach Lariere, who went down with an injury back in no- mid-November, and that's what kind of led to Air Force slipping at the end of the year. But let's start and talk about Jordan McLeod. This is his first time seeing him since he was named Sunbelt Player of the Year. He's the second straight James Madison quarterback, Todd Centeno, obviously last year to receive the award. He led the league in passing touchdowns with 32. He threw for over 3,400 yards and completed nearly 70% of his passes. Kane, he also added 300-plus yards and eight touchdowns on the ground. Just if you're not good at math, that's 3,700 yards of offense and 40 touchdowns that he's been accountable for this year. So many things obviously went into James Madison's success this year, Kane, but the emergence of Jordan McLeod was a major reason for it. Yeah, it was unreal to watch. No, I think about when he played in the second half of that first game against Bucknell and completed seven of his 11 pass attempts for two touchdowns. And Kurt Signetti was still not very high or high, for, or high on Jordan McLeod. He said there's still a lot of room for improvement. There's, there's things he can get better at. And you kind of looked at that situation and it was like, okay, well, the person who won the job 
coming out of fall camp, definitely underachieved. And it looks like your backup overachieved. That seems like it'd be more of an reason for excitement. But Coach Signetti was right. This guy just continued to play better and better throughout the year. He only had one touchdown pass in the next two games. But then after that, you see him have that four touchdown performance against Utah State. And the rest was history. This guy just had absolute command of this offense from that point forward. He elevated his receivers, having 2,000-yard receivers and Elijah Surratt and Reggie Brown this year, having Zach Horton have a career year for himself. I think just having him be that point guard, be that distributor, throw with anticipation. We talked about his importance with Tino Sinceri and him being able to really dial in and get focused and locked in on this scheme and be able to execute it at a high level and really turn this offense into a well-oiled machine. This was a team that when you looked at the defense that they had to start off the season, you could have probably cut the quarterback production in half and this record would have been the same. This is a team that did not need offensive firepower to be successful. But then when you pair that with their amazing defense and what their quarterback was able to do from a growth standpoint, what he was able to do for this offense, just being their engine and making them a threat for every defense week in and week out. That's when you get a powerhouse team. That's when you get 11 and one team. So you had to give kudos to Jordan McLeod the same way we did for Joey Aguilar as two guys who were not poised to start this year coming in in the second half of the first week of the season and continuing to show improved growth throughout the year. That is not easy to do. Getting better during the offseason, have all the time in the world, and being able to improve and get that chemistry with your receivers is one thing, but being able to do it in the midst of a season for a winning program at a very, very high level is another. So got to give Jordan his flowers, and obviously whatever he does going forward, whether it's the transfer portal, whether him staying or going, we wish him the best of luck and hope he can keep, keep crushing and keep torching defenses like he did this year in the Sun Belt. Yeah, Caden, uh, to further what you said, just uh, a lot of fun to watch uh, from afar, even in person a couple of times this year. Uh, it was a special season for Jordan McLeod, and whether he stays at James Madison or moves on in the transfer portal, uh, certainly wish him well with his uh, football playing career. But, Caden, different story for Air Force. They're a team that they only throw it 11% of the time this year. Uh, when they throw it, they've averaged 21 yards per completion. We'll talk about what makes the triple option so tough to defend in a couple minutes, but particularly when it comes to still respecting the pass and avoiding big plays, Cato. You've played against the triple option. What are the keys? Yeah, it's a tall task for sure, and it's all about discipline. I think when you look at trying to balance stopping the run and stopping the pass, you just can't mentally take the pass as seriously as you can in the run game because you know the team's going to run the ball more than any team you faced running the ball. And when they do throw the ball, those situations become very dangerous fast as a result of kind of those those numbers and facts. When you look at the statistics in football and how important that is as far as how coaches call plays and how they have their defenders defend certain de offensive looks, it all comes down to tendency. And when your tendency is much higher to th run the ball than throw the ball, you have to play accordingly. But it's just such a mental block because for the defensive backs, especially in this game, the ones that are guarding wide receivers, it's very easy to get lulled to sleep with having wide receivers come off the ball constantly blocking and blocking and blocking. And all of a sudden they block for a little bit, they're behind you and they're getting a touchdown. And the coach is looking at you like, like what did you do wrong? We told you that to, to anticipate these kind of plays. So it definitely takes a lot of discipline. It's not as much of a physical test as far as balancing that aspect of the run versus the pass. But mentally, you definitely have to stay on your P's and Q's. If you're a defensive back in this game, you have to try your best not to get lulled to sleep if you're a James Madison defender because these wide receivers aren't going to be able to touch the ball a lot. But when they do get it, you're going to get their best effort as far as them running their routes, trying to get open and create big plays. And the hardest job is probably for those overhang outside linebacker players who might have a responsibility on a tight end as well as in the run game. Those are just very tricky situations to be in. That's just a product of this scheme. When you're a run-heavy offense, very easy for you to lull the defense asleep, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And next thing you know, you're having a pass play over the top of your head and you're hearing the other team's fight song. So I think for anyone who has to defend the pass in this game, 
best of luck to them. The run presents its own problems within itself. But when it comes to balancing that with the pass as well, it's just getting over the mental hurdle of trying to both exert yourself and be prepared for every single run play, but then also for all of those nine, 10 run plays, you get that 11th or 10th pass play being ready for that as well. Yeah, and I think the other element of this too, Caden, every time that you play Georgia Southern during the regular season, you guys are kind of doing it on about one week's notice, whereas James Madison, they've had an extended period here to scout, maybe get a little bit better prepared, but it's still easier said than done going up against a true triple option attack. Hey everyone, we're interrupting today's show to tell you about our recently released Prairie and Smith podcast newsletter. Subscribers will receive weekly emails when new episodes release, as well as information about the top Sunbelt football storylines that week. You can subscribe today using the link in the show notes of this episode or by clicking the link in our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter bios. It's the best way to keep up with the Sunbelt football and the Prairie and Smith podcast. Now let's get back to the rest of today's episode. Kaden, with that triple option attack in mind, I want to talk about my matchup to watch, and that's this James Madison front seven versus Air Force's triple option attack. I said it earlier, I think this is arguably the most fascinating matchup in bowl season this year. You On one side, you have a JMU defense that's allowed 61.5 yards per game on the ground this season. That would lead the nation if the NCAA would recognize it. Our listeners know how I feel about that, so I'm not going to take any more time, but They are facing the nation's second leading rushing offense, 276 yards, trailing only a Liberty team that's going to play in the Fiesta Bowl, something else I'm sure Dukes fans uh, are frustrated about. But most of the big games are expected, uh, you know, to play for James Madison here. Katie, you used to go up against this this triple option attack of Georgia Southern. What's going to make it so challenging in the run game? Yeah, the run game is a task, Noah. You talked about it with my experience playing against Georgia Southern on an annual basis. This is a team whose triple option attack we would anticipate in practice against whenever in the full season, whether it's the spring, whether it's the summer. If our coaches got some free time, we were walking through their plays and walking through those fits. And that's probably a lot of what James Madison's doing in bowl preparation. You're not going to see a lot of physicality in any of these bowl practices ever. But I think as far as a defensive front seven standpoint in this matchup, you have to take all of that out of it. James Madison, like you mentioned, has proved they can stop the run better than anyone in the entire country this year. But stopping a triple option scheme just adds a different level of mental stakes to it. They have the physical part down, but mentally, can they stop this attack? is the question. And I know when they were first having their first days of preparation and practice, they were just walking, just walking speed through these plays because they're intricate run plays. You have offensive linemen moving a lot. You have someone holding the ball as a quarterback as an option. You have someone running the ball as a running back and you have a pitch person to account for as well. And you have to make sure that every single gap and those three players are accounted for in every different iteration you can get from their run plays. And it's extremely challenging. You have to tell your defensive linemen, whether you look in the backfield and see something that looks like it's going to be a play, you have to ignore that and you have to be gap sound. And then if you're one accountable for one of those three players, like I just mentioned, you have to be accountable for that as well. It's all about leverage. You have to have one person between every single offensive lineman. You have to have one person between every single blocker and ball carrier and one person making one mistake can really ruin the game for someone playing a triple option attack. If you have one misaligned defensive lineman or you have your safety not accounting for the pitch man, these are huge explosive plays that end up being touchdowns. 
You add the element of time, of possession with running the ball so much and how effective that can be for a team. So as far as the preparation goes for these JMU guys, I definitely do not envy them. Preparing for a triple option is something I do not miss from my college football career. I know they're getting a lot of lazy reps as far as physically just walking around and going through the motions. But when it's full speed on game day, they're going to have to rely on that preparation at a more intense tempo and a more intense standard. And it's going to be very exciting to watch this team have a new challenge as far as their rush defense. They've been challenged all year, but they have never been challenged quite like they will be in this year. And I'm very excited to watch this front seven that we regard so highly get tested both mentally and physically in a way we couldn't have imagined. Well, Ken, and we keep waiting for a team to have a good rushing game uh, against this James Madison defense. It hasn't happened in two years. I'm betting on the Dukes in this matchup. Let's talk X-Factor players, Caden. I've got an offensive player in mind, and for me, it's Tyson Lawton. Air Force has one of the better rushing defenses in the country. James Madison is going to have to grind some drives out, in my opinion. I I think they're going to have to lean into their run game to finish drives. Lawton has been a bruiser on the goal line this year. He's averaging close to 60 yards per game on 13 carries over this final stretch of the season. Caden, he had a big game in the regular season finale, 14 carries, 73 yards and a touchdown on the ground. I think he comes up big and scores at least one touchdown in this game and what I think could be a James Madison win. Great call, Noah. When I think about Tyson Lawton in this season, I just can't help think about the Virginia game and how big he was in that matchup down the stretch and elevating that team to a win on a big stage against a Power 5 opponent. And you'd have to imagine in this matchup in a bowl stage as well, they can rely on him to come up big again for this offense that has a ton of weapons. But a tool like Lawton as far as his physicality, he definitely makes the short list of players in this league that I do not want to tackle if I was a player. That's for sure. But thinking about my defensive X factor, obviously going to be a player in the front seven when you look at this attack that they're facing offensively against Air Force. And I'm going with a guy who probably hasn't gotten enough recognition this season compared to what he did last year. And that's James Carpenter, the defensive tackle and nose guard for this defense. When you look at the success this defensive unit was able to achieve in their front seven, in their defensive line specifically, when you look at the season that guys like a Jalen Green, a a Mikhail Kamara, a Chroma had this year, None of that happens without James Carpenter being that force in the middle. This is a guy who garners attention on a play-to-play basis, sometimes from two offensive linemen, especially in run games. And he's really the key to freeing up some of those other players we saw this year that had amazing years on the defensive line. It's not very common to see when you have your top tacklers of the season, multiple defensive linemen in that. But you see that this year with this team. This guy had 48 tackles from his defensive tackle spot, had nine tackles for loss, four sacks. Not the most staggering numbers when you look at the rest of what this unit was able to do, but a lot of what they were able to do was based on this guy in the middle being the anchor of this defense. And I think in this matchup specifically, he's going to have a huge role. He's not going to show up to statistically. When people after this game are like, Caden, why'd you pick your X-Factor as a guy who only had maybe two or three tackles in this matchup? He's not going to probably have a lot of tackles in this game. He's going to be lined up right over the center and be in the mix, though, as far as every single run game. And the more disruptive he can be, and the more attention he can garner from this offensive line, the better you'll see this whole entire defense play in this matchup and have free opportunities to tackle the dive, tackle the quarterback, and get after it in the pitch game. So I expect a big game from James Carpenter, not necessarily statistically, but as far as an X-factor goes, I can't think of anyone who's going to be more important playing a triple option attack than this nose guard who's regarded as one of the best in the entire country. Okay, and I love the point there, and I think if you talk to, and I know if you talk to the players in that James Madison locker room, James Carpenter has been the glue piece for this defense. He really has been one of the unsung heroes over the last two seasons during this run of success. Well, that's going to do it for our Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl preview. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to James Madison's Jamry Chroma for joining us, as well as to Associate AD Chris Brooks for 
helping make today's conversation possible. Before you go, here's a quick reminder that we'll be back on Monday. We're going to be previewing the upcoming 76 Birmingham Bowl featuring the Troy Trojans facing the Duke Blue Devils plus Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Year, Troy running back Kimani Vidal will join us on the show. You're going to want to give it a listen. That'll do it for us here at the Ferry and Smith Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please take a moment to drop us a five-star rating on the way out. Otherwise, continue enjoying this historic bowl season. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. Thanks for spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Monday.